we consider that this week is a week to advance spiritually. That as we uh, uh, prepare to go into our Good Friday service, our, our Resurrection Sunday service, that God is on the move, that, uh, that spiritual advance can be made. One of the things that we do is uh, we try to really get our hearts and our minds into the scriptures for this whole week. Lisa has put together that wonderful um, uh, program for this. We're going to be reading in the Old and New Testament together. We're going to be uh, using a form that Lisa and I have been using recently in our, our scripture, our devotions, that we've found to be really fresh and makes the scriptures come alive even more. And so we're going to do that together here at 9 o'clock uh, every morning, Monday through Friday. We're going to use highlighters. Jude's got the, show the highlighters, Jude. This spiritual tool right here called highlighters. Uh, and uh, we'll show you what to do with those if you'll come and be a part of this with us. But uh, we, we just find that leading up to Good Friday, leading up to the cross, it's, just, it's good not to just be all consumed with the world but to just consume ourselves with the Word of God together. So please be a part of that if you can. And if you can't be here at, at 9, it's still, there's, there's going to be, I think it's going to be online and different things are going to, uh, of the devotional will be there. So you can uh, participate at home or at your office or whatever it might be. So let's look at the scriptures together. We've been in 1 John. It's a series called God Is. It's, it's the revelation of God's character to us, how we... Uh, if we know him, we respond differently to him and to the world. And we're looking at uh, today the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. I like it when you read God's word out loud with me, so let's read God's word together. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The Apostle John is writing this as, as really an old man. A man who has, who has lived his life for Jesus. Who as a young man was completely enthralled and, and experienced the love of Jesus face to face. And, and has lived a life of passion of purpose and of following Jesus, now in, in his later years, he is spelling out the things he believes to be essential and to be important. And what he's done is he's, he's made a contrast. And he says, he says, both by the power of the Holy Spirit, revelation of the Spirit in his own life, he says there are things that are permanent and there are things that are passing. And the things that are permanent are eternal things. And these are worthy of your investment. And the things that are passing, he's basically saying, you need to end the affair. You need to cease with the affection for these things. Because whatever you nurture, whatever you invest in, will either be passing 
or it'll be permanent. It'll either be eternal or it'll be temporary. And there are things in this passage that, that John is beginning to describe to us that are permanent and they're things that are for you and are worthy of your investment. And there's three things that I want us to look at from this passage. The one is this, is that that which is permanent in you is born of God in you. That which is born of God is forever. That which is not born of God is passing. The second thing is that he makes it clear that there is a permanence to the love of God. Here he's beginning to turn his attention to the very nature and character of the love of God. And he, he says, you are forever, permanently beloved of God. That that belovedness is worthy of your whole being. That's the second. And then the third thing is this. He makes it clear that this love that you were made for, this love that you need, this hole in you that only God can fill is not something you work at, you deserve, you merit. It is something that is bestowed upon you. So the idea is we're born of God, we're beloved of God, and that this love is bestowed on us by God. So the first thing I want you to look at is this idea of being born of God. Notice in, in, in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2, it says, the little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. First thing I want you to notice is there is coming a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. There is coming a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Whatever else is going on in your life, whatever else you're enduring in this time period in your life is one of those passing temporary things, but forever will be determined by your face-to-face with Jesus. There's something that is forever. There's something that is not just temporal or temporary. It's forever. And if you know that he is righteous, and when you look in his face, you will see the righteousness of God in the face of Jesus. He says, if you know he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Being born of God is really the key, the whole key of a beginning in relationship with God through Jesus. This, this is probably one of the most fascinating things if you let it sink in, and that is that in order to be a Christian, it has to be supernatural. It, it cannot simply be a change of morality. For example, you could start coming to a church, and you could change your behavior in order to be presentable to that church. I remember one time going to this, uh, uh, oh, it was horrible, this Christmas pageant at this legalistic church. I hated it. It was four hours long. It started, at, started in Bethlehem and ended at the great white throne judgment of God. <laughs> four hours of this. And at the end, it would, they, were, they were having judgment. And the judgment uh, that these people had was that uh, people who wore jeans and had long, men who had long hair went to hell. Those that had khakis and uh, modestly dressed dresses went to heaven. And they didn't listen to rock music. That was the other requirement, which I really like. And, uh, so, and then the pastor of the church was welcomed in as thou good and faithful servant and all of this stuff. I was ready to puke as I, I watched this. And I said, I said to Lisa, we are getting out of here. And I looked up 
And they had all of the doors blocked with the biggest men in the church. (laughs) See, you could go to that church and be coerced into behavior. You could go anywhere and be coerced into changing how you dress. But no heart change. See, that which is of God is born of God. That, that's, it's not just simply I have a new theology or I have a new philosophy or I have a new morality. It's that I, the seeds of him are in me. I have his DNA. I, I don't have just my old nature. As a matter of fact, my old nature is part of what, what Paul says in Corinthians has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. In other words, there's a new nature. That new nature in you, that part of you that says, I don't really like sinning anymore. Sin is no longer satisfying to me. That part in you that awakens when you hear a song of praise to the Lord that makes your whole body move, but it starts in your soul. And you begin to say, this is my heart, my heart after God. That's what's been born of God, and that is eternal. It's supernaturally there. It's a spiritual birth. You know, just to get theological about this for a minute, the truth is, if you are born of God, this is your true nature. The flesh is passing away. That which is attached to this world, that which is attracted to this world, that which used to find its fulfillment in the world is no longer your true self. But if you, if you decide you're going to keep nurturing that old self, if you decide you're going to stay with what's familiar, then it will seem like it's your true nature. Because it's what you're most familiar with. It's what you're investing in. But if you begin to say, that was my old self. That's not my new self. My new self is born of God. And you begin to isolate the voice of God over every other voice. Um, When the worship team is practicing, uh, every single one of them wants to hear themselves. And so they say say to the sound people, turn me up. And the sound people, if they're good, do not do that. Because if everybody gets turned up, we can't hear anybody. And what they usually do is say this, what are you hearing too much of? And they turn that down. I really believe that what the Spirit of God wants you to realize is that there's a voice that you need to be hearing, the voice that is born of God. Everything else needs to be turned down. It doesn't need to be the noisiest place in the world in your head. And what I'm finding, and I'm I'm not trying to pick on modern technology, but I'm finding that many people can't even hear their own thoughts, so they constantly walk around with headphones and music and, and noise in their ears so they don't have to hear the noise in their head. That which is born of God, is what needs to be isolated. Everything else needs to be turned down. And you let that voice 
that voice of his righteousness, that voice of his purity, that voice of his power. You let that be turned up. And what will happen is you'll begin to hear a voice that you were made for. Now, listen to me on this. Jesus said it this way. In this world, you will have trouble. Okay? Can you say it with me? In this world, you will have trouble. How many can testify to that? Okay? Even those that didn't put their hands up were testifying. I could see it in their faces. All right? In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. Now, listen. In other words, what he's saying is that which is born of God must overcome the world. So, see, what what John is talking about, both here and in the gospel, is the fact that trouble activates What's born of God. What's trouble doesn't make what's born of God run away, hide, or even, you know, transform or mutate into something else. What, what it does is activate the overcoming spirit within you. Fear not, I have overcome the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You will never have spiritual muscles unless you have overcome. And you'll not overcome unless you've been overwhelmed. See, it's so powerful when you begin to realize that those attractions that are temporary, those old attachments, part of your purpose is to overcome them. Now, you can't overcome them by willpower. You have to overcome them by a new nature. A new inclination, new desires, new desires that are greater than the old desires, and a hope and a belief about those desires. And so John turns it and says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. Now, for some reason, in the English Standard Version, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That sounds kind of mundane. I paid thousands of dollars to learn Greek, so I'm going to share with you my expertise at this point. Okay, number one, the idea is not see, but behold, which we don't say a lot, you know, but it's the idea of amazement, of wonder, of awe, behold. Now, when you experience wonder or amazement, it is usually because you are experiencing something unexpected. Like if you're driving along in, you know, uh, in Arizona or in Utah or something, you drive along and then all of a sudden you come across some natural wonders. And when you do, you go, behold. You know, you're full of wonderment at it. You're amazed at the Grand Canyon or Bryce Canyon or the arches or or if you grew up on the East Coast and suddenly you see the Rockies, you go, those East Coast mountains aren't nothing but hills, you know? Because when you see it, you just go, wow, this is amazing. That's the, the idea here is something that causes wonder. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Most of the time, when you get your paycheck, you don't go, behold. Somebody once service, I said that, and they came back and said, well, we, we have said that lately. 
because we've got a job that paid more money than we expected, and we're really excited, and we're, we're thrilled. But I said, yeah, but give it a year. Because once you spend all that money, you're not going behold anymore, you know. And once you get used to your paycheck, you never, you never go behold. Because here's the thing is this is what you agreed to. You agreed. I would work this much. They would pay me this much. You might believe you're worth more, but you're not expecting more because you have an agreement. And so there's no awe. There's no wonder when you get what you expect. It's only when you start to realize that you have something so undeserved, something so beyond what you would expect to have. And so John is saying that when you grasp how beloved of God is, you are filled with wonder at his love for you because you know you. And if, and if you're not a, a total liar, you realize there's so much about you not to love. There's so much about you that's not worthy of love. There's so much about you that in no way would expect a holy God to know you all the way to the bottom of your being and love you all the way to the top of your head. And yet he does. As a matter of fact, John goes on and says, what manner of is actually, it's actually a, 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 an expression in Greek. Like we would say every now and then when something happens and someone does the unexpected, you say, what planet are you from? Kind of a thing. That's the idea. Behold, where does this come from? What planet? Is, it can't be from our universe is the idea that John says, this, this is a whole other source than we've ever thought of before, that we could be loved like this. So what I, I want you to realize is that the real acid test of your Christianity is how much wonder do you have? How amazed are you? You see, religious people are working to make God indebted to them. So every answered prayer is a paycheck. Every time that you punch the clock and you go to worship and you're like, oh, I'm in this miserable worship service. God, you better give me a good week. Or every time you read your Bible or have your quiet time, you are in a superstitious way saying, because I read my Bible, because I pray, then God, you've got to take all the uncertainties out of my life. See, as long as you're trying to indebt God to you and get leverage with God so that God will do what you want him to do, you will never have wonder. You'll only have disappointment. You'll only, you'll only feel so much like this just doesn't work. This Being a Christian just doesn't pay off. Because what you want is God to be a means to an end instead of God being the end in itself. And as long as God is your means to an end, he will always disappoint you. He will always do what you least expect him to do. You see this even in the Old Testament that Job and the book of Job can only be understood in a way from this sense where Job says after losing everything, 
Though he slay me, still I will hope and trust in him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he still has God. He's lost everything in this world. He's lost all temporary things. Every passing thing has been taken from him. But he knows what the permanent and eternal thing is. And he still has that. And so he says, shall I only praise God when good happens? In other words, what he's saying is, whether my circumstances make sense to me or not, I am still beloved of God. And that's what matters to me. That's what counts. See, and in one sense, if you don't put these two together, I am born of God. It's not merely my behavior. It's not merely my philosophy. It's not my the- just my theology, my religion. But I am born of God. Something in me has the very DNA of the Father. And I am beloved by that Father. The one who put this life in me, the one who put this new nature in me, is worthy of all of my trust and all of my obedience and all of my surrender. I am not making him indebted to me. The problem with some Christians is they still don't get it and they think, but somehow I'm indebted to him. You don't make your children your debtors. Children are free. Jesus didn't pay the price to indebt you. Because then you would just be doing your obligation. I find that love is not love unless it's free. It's just a paycheck if it's not free. It's just a demand. It's just a transaction. He didn't pay the price in order to indebt you. As a matter of fact, if you look, At the proof of the love of God, John says it this way. He appeared in order to take away sins. He didn't take away your sins to then make you indebted to him. Now, a lot of you, you've grown up with with this idea that now I owe everything to Jesus. And I understand the idea, the sentiment in it, but owe is the wrong word. Owe is the wrong word. Owe is the word of of business, always the word of slavery, always the word of indebtedness. I don't think Jesus collects in that way. I think John makes it clear we love him because he first loved us, not because he first indebted us. We love him because he really did take our sins away. If our sins are taken away and the one who took those sins away now freely gives us relationship as children of God with him. It's worth everything to me. It's not because I'm indebted. It's because no one's ever loved me like that. It's because no one's ever cared for me like that. It's because no one ever could care for me. And it causes wonder in me. See, if it's nothing more than paying off a debt... What wonder would there be? What amazement? That makes perfect sense. I was indebted to sin. Now I'm indebted to God. That makes perfect sense. But instead, I'm no longer indebted to sin. And now I'm a child of God. Come on, that's pretty good stuff. Are you catching this with me? I mean, because some of you are like, oh, I've got to pay. I've got to pay. 
if I were a father and my children were saying, I got to pay my dad, I got to pay my dad, wouldn't have much intimacy with them. But if my children say, my dad really loves me, I really love my dad, I love being with my dad. I mean, I, I don't know if any of you have ever had this thing, but my, my mother, the my mother would always do this. I would call her on the phone, and the first five minutes was her fussing at me for not calling her more often. <laughs> Come on. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm like, if the first five minutes were actually pleasant with you, I probably would call more often. Because then I would look forward to these calls. But you always make me feel indebted to you. So my calls are duty and obligation, which don't really motivate me that much. But I couldn't tell her that, because then she'd really start crying. And then I'd feel worse, which then makes it easier not to call her more. Come on. You're figuring, yeah, some of, five of you are figuring this out. Your first words to God and his words back to you are, why don't, are never going to be, why don't you call more? First, he knows why. He doesn't need to ask you. You'll probably lie. Okay? Instead, he makes his presence pleasant in your presence is the fullness of joy, the psalmist says. At your right hand are pleasures forever. The first five minutes will hook you forever with God. The first five minutes in his presence. Because you are beloved. And what he does is he reveals how beloved you are. Second thing is that which has hindered you that which has bound you to this world, he has broken those bonds. The reason he appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The only power, really and truly, friends, the only real power that Satan has over you is a lie. And if he can get you to believe the lie, the lie will have power. Everything else he does, all the trickery, all the intimidation... All the supernatural manifestations, all of it is for one purpose, and that is to get you afraid so you'll believe the lie. Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. He is a defeated foe. He did it for you. He did it because he loves you. Now, the, the last of these, of these three permanent things within you as a believer is that this love is bestowed on you by God. Now, you don't see this often, but the way that the scripture says is that the Father has lavished, bestowed, given his love. He's placed his love upon you. The only place in our culture, our society, where anything like this takes place is in a marriage ceremony, in a wedding ceremony, where a bride lavishes her love on a husband, a husband, a bridegroom, lavishes his love on the bride. And they, they, they do this in, in front of others, publicly making this commitment, a, a, an unbelievable commitment, to tell you the truth, to each other. And most of them have no clue what they're doing. And have no way of fulfilling what they're promising. 
They are promising to lavish, bestow, grant to this other person a love that will last forever. Very few people I've ever seen have any idea what they're actually promising. They just want to get to the reception and have the party. They have no idea what they've just promised. Let me tell you, the father knew what he was promising when he made you his child. It is a bestowing of a love in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, in, in joy and in sorrow, not only till death do you part, for, but for all eternity. This is, what's ha- this is what John is talking about here. He's talking about a commitment of love and a bestowal of love. It is not something that you work for, that you merit, that you deserve, that you attain to. It is a love that he chooses to place on you and you choose to receive it. He knows exactly what he's getting into. This becomes so essential that you understand this. There are no 50% children of God. A child of God is 100% child of God. The father is 100% the father. Let me illustrate this. When my children get in trouble, I do not become less of a father. When my children are not going in the right direction, I don't suddenly go, you're not my child, I'm not your father. As a matter of fact, there's something when my children get in trouble that activates a father response in me. I become more of a father. If I know that my kids are hurting, if I know that they're in trouble, if I know they're going the wrong way, I don't, I don't back off, I jump in. I mean, my son was uh, just last year opening a business in Nashville. We get word that he's, he's run out of money and that he's not eating. You know, that didn't activate like, well, he's not my child now. I, I went to Walmart and wired him money because they're the cheapest place to wire money. <laughs> and, 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 and he received it and he ate. And we kept up with him and said, are you eating every day? Are you eating every day? You know, you don't become less. In those moments, you, you rise up. And you say, this is why I became a father. If I can do that, being evil, how much more the father who knew what he was getting into with you will rise up with you in those moments of sinfulness, in those moments of rebellion, in those moments of misunderstanding. When you are at your worst, he's at his best. Instead of running from him, you learn to run to him. Jesus told the story of two sons who had very small views of the father. The one son thought the father was, was too restrictive and, and was going to put a crimp on his life. And so this son says, give me my inheritance now. And so he takes his inheritance. And you remember the story, the rebellious son, the prodigal son, he goes away. He squanders all his money in wasteful living. He ends up that the only way he can eat is to is to slop hogs, you know, to feed the pigs. And then he comes to this huge realization. He says, you know what? Even if I were a slave in my father's house, it'd be better than this. So he comes home, though he still has a small view of the father. 
He says, I just want to be a servant. I just want to be a slave. I don't need to be a, a son. But if you, you hear how Jesus tells the story, his need activated the father. The father, this in, in Middle Eastern culture of that day, fathers were old and respectable and dignified and they sauntered. But this father hitches up his skirts and runs after his son because he's been watching for him and looking for him. And when he finds him, that son who smells of pigs, he says, get him a, a new robe. Put a ring on his finger. Let's throw a party. The calf that is fattened is ready for this. We will, we will, we will rejoice that my son who is dead is now alive. But the second son had his smaller view of the father, even though he didn't rebel against the father. He was, he was the one trying to make the father indebted to him. He was the religious son. He too did not know his father, though he had lived in his father's house all his life. And this one said to his father, look, I, I've been slaving after you. I've been going to church services where preachers preach for an hour. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I've been doing all this stuff for you, and you never threw me a party, and you never gave me a ring. See, neither of these sons understood the father had unlimited resources for his sons. And both of them tried to relate to the father in a very different way than the father wanted them to relate to. See, when you begin to understand, none of this is because you deserve it. And you're not excluded because you don't deserve it. There's something about you not deserving it that makes you qualified to receive it. Because it's bestowed, not worked for, not attained. This is such a cool thing that in Jesus' last prayer, you know, one of his last prayers here on earth, he's praying to his father. And he explains to his father that he wants the father to love us in the exact same way that he loves him. You're not in a right relationship with God because of biology. You're not in a right relationship with God because of your morality. You come into a right relationship with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus' resurrection. But when you come, you come as an adopted son. You come as an adopted daughter. And here's what Jesus made the father promise that he would treat the adopted children just the same as he would the biological sons and daughters. So the very same treatment that the father gives to the Lord Jesus Christ is the very same treatment that he has for you. This is what it is to be born of God, to be beloved of God, and to be bestowed by God with the love is that you, an adopted son, an adopted daughter, have all the rights and all the privileges of the firstborn son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was treated on the cross as you deserve to be treated so that you now are being treated in the same way that Jesus deserves to be treated. Let me close with this. Are you tracking with me? Let me close with this. Here's what John says. He says that there's a hope that can sustain you as you, being born of God, overcome the world. There's a hope that can sustain you. And this hope, the hope is this, that the day is coming when you will see Jesus face to face. 
But it says that though we're not exactly like him now, John says we will be like him. Now, I know I'm running over a little bit, but I have to get this through to you. The passing things still trip me up. The temporary things still have an appeal to me. There are times when I get overwhelmed and I'm overcome and I I go to things that are not the permanent truths of who I am in Christ. I go to the things that are not those things. And there are times when the enemy of my soul comes and says, what has changed in you? What is different in you? You you still wrestle with some depression. You still wrestle with lust. You still wrestle with dishonesty. You still wrestle with those things. How are you any different? And here's what John teaches you to say. No matter who I am today, no matter how far I've come today, it really doesn't matter because the day is coming when I will be like him. You see, and you begin, John says, you purify yourself with that hope. I will be like him. And it, for some of you, it might not be till you die. You know, you may struggle and wrestle and maybe the damage is so great from this world that you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But here is that blessed hope that even on the day you die, you will be like Jesus. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the powerful part. If you start saying it now, it happens quicker. If you start saying it now and you believe it now and you put a stake in the ground and say, I will be like him. It purifies you. And those, those voices are tuned out. And they're tuned off. And the pure voice begins to rise. That which is born of God must overcome the world. I am born of God and I must overcome the world. Will you stand with me? Three truths permanent truths bestowed on you. Would you receive them? Would you open up your hands, your heart? It's not your morality. It's not your religion. It's a supernatural transformation. If there is within you a love of righteousness, a love of Jesus, it isn't because you're smart or you're better than other people. It's because God has birthed a new nature in you and a new heart. Would you say this with me? I am born of God. Because you are born of God, then the Bible says this, you are beloved of God. He, beloved, he loves his children. He sees that DNA. He sees that seed planted in you. And wherever it's at, whether it's just starting to grow or it's already become a full-grown plant, whatever it is, he loves it because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you say with me, I am beloved of God. Now, what I would ask of you on these two things is I would ask, could you get back to the wonder of that? Are you honest enough to realize you shouldn't be loved of God? That you should be a slave? That you were a slave to sin? You were a slave of the devil? But now you're a child of God. You're not an indebted woman, an indebted man, but you're free. So you get to choose what you have affection for. You get to choose what you love. 
Would you stop loving what cannot love you back and only love that which will love you forever? Behold, what manner of love, what planet did this even come from that we should be called sons and daughters of God? That's who we are. That's who we are, even now. Would you take hold and... I know maybe you don't see these pictures in your head, but I see you planting a stake in the ground right now that says, whatever I've been, whatever I am right now, I will be like Jesus. It's not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of trying. It is the promise of God. He is making you like Jesus. Everything in your life is funneling you towards this desire to be like your Savior. Lord, we seal what you're doing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are those up here who would pray with you today. If any of this is something that you're wrestling with or something you just want to have someone agree with you on, sometimes it's just good to say a prayer out loud to somebody else and begin to make steps forward. I believe God is making a change in you to be like Jesus. Come and just pray with somebody. Seal this today in Jesus' name.